0: Well, it's not often I preach a sermon in which I feel so much in common with the person I'm preaching about. But until a few days ago, I felt a real fellow feeling with Abraham. We're beginning a a short series on Old Testament characters, Abraham and Moses. And the opening verses of chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, really gave me a fellow feeling with Abraham. Leave your country and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Jenny and I have spent five very, very happy years here at Linfield, years packed with activity and challenge, and now it's time to move on. And as I say, when I prepared this sermon... In common with Abraham, I had no idea of where God wanted us to go. But all that's changed. After last week's foray into East Anglia looking for a place to retire, the Lord's found us a house. And barring accidents, we'll have a home to go to when we leave Linfield. And the whole experience has brought home to me just how privileged. Jenny and I are, and how great the challenge Abraham faced when God called him to go but kept him in the dark about his destination. And it made me think again and again and again about the plight of hundreds of thousands of people who are homeless, people who are homeless here in Haywood's Heath, people who have nowhere to go. Well, considering what was required of Abraham, you might ask the question, what do you do when God hijacks your life? Because effectively, that is precisely what happened. Into a settled existence with friends and family around him came the call to leave it all behind and set out on a journey with no defined end. All he had was the certainty that God was calling him to go. It can't have been easy to answer a challenge like that. It seems to me that there were two qualities that Abraham needed above all else. Two qualities, faith and trust. And I want to have a look at both of those this morning, faith and trust. But first of all, what does the Bible say about faith? Well, Hebrews 11:1 tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I don't know whether you saw a a television program um, broadcast a few days ago in which Anne Widdicombe faced a whole raft of atheist comedians, Marcus Brigstock, Ricky Gervais, and one or two others. Now, these people are atheists, and they regard the Christian faith as perfectly acceptable territory in which to go and lampoon not only funny old vicars. I mean, I've been laughing at funny old vicars all my life, and I'm a funny old vicar now myself. But they're actually attacking the Christian faith. They're actually saying, this is nonsense. Anybody who believes it must be crazy, must be a lunatic, must be a fool. Jenny and I recorded the program and we watched it. And what came to me very, very strongly is that the whole concept of faith is completely foreign to people like Marcus Brigstock and Ricky Gervais, etc. They just don't understand it. They are on the level of seeing and believing. Faith says the Bible is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. How can you be certain of what you do not see? Surely that puts you in that little pigeonhole marked lunatic, fool. How can you be certain of what you do not see? Well, in purely human terms, of course, you can't. And that's why faith always has an element of uncertainty about it. That's what makes faith exciting, really exciting. That's what makes it live. I think I've told you before about an experience I had years and years ago when I was parking my car in the um, station car park at Gloucester, catching a train to go to Birmingham. And a policeman was standing nearby the entrance to the car park, and so I drove slowly up to him, wound the window down, and I said, Officer, could you tell me, please, where I can be certain of, um, or reasonably certain, of uh, making sure that my car isn't stolen? And he looked down at me and smiled, and he said, I don't think anyone would be interested in stealing your car, sir. (laughs) Well, that's one kind of certainty, isn't it? The fact is that faith doesn't operate on seeing and believing level. Faith operates on a completely different level. It opens, in a sense, the door to doubt. It says, I'm not sure, but I believe. I have no rock-solid certainty. I've got faith, and that's actually something different and even better. It doesn't undermine our confidence in God in any way. It operates on another level. When you have faith, you don't need sight. That's what the writer to the Hebrews means, by being certain of what we do not see. Faith doesn't rely on what can be proved or demonstrated. Its foundation is the confidence gained through being able to trust. All that Abraham had was his sense of call. He knew that the idolatry which surrounded him in Ur and Haran was inadequate and false. He discovered a deeper, more profound perception of spiritual things. He felt compelled to leave the security of home and loved ones and make a new beginning. Where the journey ended didn't matter. All he knew was that he had to begin the journey. Now, it's a bit of a cheek, isn't it, when God hijacks your life. But he does from time to time. Or so it seems. Circumstances change, and we can do little to control them. Health, concerns, reorganizations at work, bereavement, the breakdown of relationships, all these things come crashing into our lives. And what had seemed so clear and predictable suddenly becomes strange and frightening. Now, I'm not suggesting that God sends bad things. No, he doesn't. But they happen. And when they do, they always provide us with a fresh opportunity to learn important lessons. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, one of the most inspiring things that's happened just recently to me was listening to Alex Hall testimony. You know young Alex, who's had to uh, had, have a, a 2 years' break in his medical training because he's been suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome, and he's just emerging from that and getting his strength back, and we're all praying like mad that God will continue that healing process And he stood here and he gave his testimony and he quoted a prayer he'd read when he was at his lowest. Lord, help me not to forget in the light what you showed me in the darkness. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that true spiritual experience? Lord, help me not to forget when I've emerged into the light what you've taught me what you've shown me in the darkness. God always uses experience of whatever kind it is to draw us closer to him. On the other hand, of course, God's intervention may come when life is running smoothly and all's well with the world. It's easy to get into a routine, to become absorbed with the demands of work and family. And sometimes it's precisely that moment that God chooses to intervene. I think that's what happened with our new Archbishop of Canterbury. He was doing well in the oil industry. He'd made a name for himself in being able to solve difficult commercial problems, and then something stirred within him. He knew he had to change course, and now he finds himself leading a worldwide church faced with some of the most intractable dilemmas imaginable and no guarantee of being able to solve them. The great lesson of Abraham's life is verse 8 of Hebrews 11. Abraham went, called to go, obeyed, and went. He didn't question. He didn't prevaricate. He did the one thing God had called him to do. He took the first step on the journey. Now, I don't know your exact circumstances or how closely they resemble Abraham's. Your life may be set in a pattern which is positive and satisfying. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no guarantee that it will stay that way, but if it does, give thanks. On the other hand, you may be faced with difficult choices. Just recently, Paula Radcliffe, the athlete has had to come to terms with the fact that she will probably, almost certainly, never be able to run competitively again. She's the current women's world record holder holder in the marathon. Running as her life but it seems that a foot injury has now put paid to her sporting career. It must be so difficult to accept that situation, but she's got no alternative. What will she do now? What is there left for a runner who can't run anymore? It's, it's hard when life doesn't work out as we would wish. But you see, for the Christian. We have an element that unbelievers don't have, all those, all those comedians who think they're so clever. We know that God's hand is on our lives. He has a plan for each one of us. When Jenny and I get into the wilds of East Anglia, no doubt there'll be work for us to do. What it will be, I can only guess, having spent more than 40 years in church leadership, it will be such a relief to sit in the congregation and listen And I can complain about the hymns. What do you think about that? My word, am I looking forward to it. I can think of all kinds of scenarios. But there's only one thing that I can actually do. And there's only one thing any of us can actually do in that situation. And that is step out in faith. Take the first step on the journey. Because when God hijacks your life, no matter how he does it, We've got to do what Abraham did. When called to go, he obeyed and went. Okay, that's all very well in theory. How does it work out in practice? I said there were two qualities that Abraham needed. First of all, we've looked at faith. Now let's look at trust. And to put it simply, of course, trust is the result of faith. If you have faith in someone or something, you are enabled. To trust. You know, don't you, how a child trusts their parents. And I often think about the times when my children were small and they trusted me. I always find tube trains unnerving, and, and that's probably because when I used to take my sons to London to see the sights, I had a horror of becoming separated from the crush, from them in the crush, rather, of of getting onto a crowded tube train. They'd be swept onto the train, and all of a sudden, the doors would close. They'd be inside the train, and I would still be on the platform. It would be no good shouting as the train sped away. I couldn't run after it and follow it. Inside the train, there would be one frightened little boy with Dad nowhere to be seen, my Panic as I watched the train disappear would be nothing in comparison to his as he realized he was on his own. Well, now, the difference between how, when they were little, my sons trusted me and the way we can trust God is that he will never allow something like that to happen. He will never bring us to a place where we are alone, overwhelmed by something that is beyond even him. And when I say that, I can remember my reaction when I wrote it in the notes. Is that really true, Charles? Are you really telling them the truth? Think of how Christians during the 20th century suffered in the most appalling places and in the most appalling ways. They prayed. And yet they were overwhelmed. Is it right to say that God will never bring us to a place where we are overwhelmed by something that is beyond even Him? More martyrs for Christ died during the 20th century than in all the 19 before put together. Is it really true? I believe it is. I believe it is true. Why do I believe that? Because I trust the one who's never let me down and who I believe has never let any of his servants down. You see, Jesus didn't mislead anybody. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say if you're a Christian you're going to have an easy ride. He said, in the world you will have trouble. If they hated me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. He said, if any man would follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. In the world you will have trouble. But he added courage. I have overcome the world. And that is the truth. As a well-known Christian writer was flying to a certain city in the United States, she sat back in her seat and noticed that if she looked out of one plane window, she could see a glorious sunrise, whereas if she turned her head in the opposite direction, the sky was still as black as night. And She recognized the voice of the Holy Spirit within her. Your life, he said, is like this journey. There will be times of glorious sunrise. There will also be times when the night never seems to end. Remember that however long it is, the morning will come. And whatever you are called upon to face, I will bring you safely to your journey's end. In our New Testament reading from Luke 17, Jesus makes one of those paradoxical statements, which are typical of his teaching. He says this, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, what is Jesus saying there? Don't worry, I don't believe he is recommending supernatural landscape gardening. What he's illustrating is... The power of faith, which is really rooted in trust in God. Faith can do anything when it is rooted and grounded and planted in the love and faithfulness of God. Nothing in his plan is impossible, but it's got to be in his plan. Let's go back to Abraham. There he is setting out on his journey, not knowing where he'll end. He certainly needed faith and trust that we've been thinking about this morning, but as well as faith and trust, God gave him something else. God gave him a stupendous promise. Listen to verses 2 and 3 I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it, really? (laughs) Okay, there was no postcode to punch into the sat-nav. There were no directions either. Abraham just had to take the first step on the journey and trust God for the second. But with the promise of divine blessing and protection, who could go wrong? You might even say, Abraham had jam on it. What about you and me? How do we face an uncertain future? What's the basis of our trust and faith? It's exactly the same as Abraham's exactly the same. When Jesus said his final goodbye to the disciples in Matthew 28, he gave them a promise, no less stupendous and powerful and wonderful as the one God gave to Abraham. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We've just been celebrating Easter, haven't we? And the great central truth of the resurrection is that Jesus is with us here and now. Let T.W. Manson have the last word Christians are not the inheritors of Christ's task. They are his companions in its performance.